Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. So I remember in the last episode, you kind of did, we'll call it podcast bait, uh, clickbait <laughs> of the podcast world where you you uh, held back all your tips, tricks, and secrets of what you actually do when your application could be slow or how you'd measure that. We talked a little bit about um, you know theoretical stuff, but I remember you promising that uh, we were going to cover some more of the, the details of how the mechanics of this might work out. I find it interesting that uh, you put put it on me. I think it was a group effort that some uh, <laughs> podcast bait was offered. But anyways, continue. All two of us <laughs> as a group. All, all two of us. <laughs> so I, I thought it'd be good to kind of start out and um, ask you a question of, of, we know we need to measure some of this stuff. Maybe it is actually uh, going slow. So what is the first sort of tool that you might reach for in your Laravel application uh, to start measuring performance or, or getting an idea about it. Yeah, because uh, last episode, we talked sort of in the abstract, some te- techniques and things. But yeah, the tools, I think that the obvious go-to tool would be Laravel Telescope, having that running in a local environment. And uh, we had talked about being able to reproduce the issue previously. So I'm assuming we were able to reproduce the slowness. The very next thing I would do would be open up telescope and start clicking around to see what it shows me about the performance of that request. If you have a page that is, you know, going slower, let's just say it's like mm-hmm. slash dashboard. What would you, when you say click around in telescope, what would you actually kind of do? Well, the, the, the entry point for me, the way my brain works is the requests page. You know, they show you all the requests that came into your app and I would look for the one that has the, they all have a, uh, a time frame on them too, in terms of like when the request was issued. So obviously it's one I just did now, but also how long it took. Let's, let's say it's a page um, like Nova, for example, I was troubleshooting something. There's a number of requests that made up my individual user request, but uh, focusing in on the one that had the longest response time. Oh, and you say there are a number of requests. That's because the Nova page you're looking for probably right. has some like Ajax requests as yes. well. Yeah. But if you're in an application, maybe that has just, you know, a standard request, it's probably mm-hmm. pretty obvious what request is the one you just made. Right. Yeah. Maybe a lot top. of times it's, it's <laughs> one-to-one. Correct. Yep. So you click in there uh, and uh, I guess, what, what are we kind of looking for in something like that? All right. So, so when I'm looking at that list of requests and I find the one that I just made that has that. Uh, unusually or unacceptably long duration. Uh, I'll click the details icon and look at it. And uh, what that will show you up at the top, you know, it has a lot of information about the route and, and things like that. But if you scroll down, usually queries, I would say nine times out of 10 uh, queries that, and that's database queries are where you'll see a problem. So if you see like double digit query numbers, or uh, maybe it's a low number of queries, but individual queries take multiple seconds. Like that is the first thing I would scan for and uh, start drilling in to try to make this better. I think there's a couple other sections in there too. I've looked at, um, okay. you know, if, if, if you're, if you're kicking off a number of jobs, it'll show jobs that maybe have been kicked off by that request and you okay. can kind of drill into that job as well, which normally isn't such a big deal because they should be in the background, but it could be, you know, something's misconfigured and maybe that job or, or that um, event uh, um, is happening in, in real time. Uh, you know, maybe the, the queue is set to sync for some reason. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, 
then uh, those things are all going to happen on that request, which I guess is something important too to keep in mind that if you're doing it locally, you should have your uh, application kind of configured the same. So if it's using a, a you know Redis in production, you should be using Redis locally. Otherwise, your the time it takes those requests are going to be drastically different if you're issuing things like jobs or okay. events. So uh, I mentioned the queries tab or the, the queries portion of the request. And obviously a high number of queries is a problem. It mentions duplicates on there too as well, right? Yes, like right. unique or duplicates, yeah. Right, so if you see a high number or even a high number of duplicates, that, that would be the place to start. But but let's um let's talk about an example where maybe there's not too many queries running, but just one of the queries is slow. Uh, what's What's your advice for how to tackle something like that? So any database, well, most databases that you're using are going to have a way to kind of profile uh, the the query that they're running. And so I would imagine a majority of people are using MySQL. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can use uh, the explain command in, in MySQL. Um, and what that does is it kind of tells you what the engine in MySQL uh, thinks it's going to do to run this query. Now, I said that very carefully, what it thinks it's going to do. Every once in a while, um, it might do something a little bit different than explains, <laughs> but those are, those, are, those are pretty rare, so we're not yeah. going to get into that. But 95% of the time, when you say explain this query, it's going to explain to you what it's going to do. And so how you can do that is in Telescope, you can take that query that's taking a longer amount of time, and you can go to your database uh, management tool and put the word explain and then paste the query in after that, making sure any of the parameters are filled in, things like that. Um, and then you, you can actually see uh, MySQL explain uh, what it's going to do. Now, that's a, that's a huge topic. Um, yeah. and people have done you know, whole, whole presentations on there. But uh, just a kind of a, a, a thing to keep in mind, the number of rows that it lists that it has to review to do your query, multiply those by each row. So if the first one says, you know, 10 and the second one says 10, that means that it has to review a hundred rows in order to um, uh, get your information. So you imagine if the first one says 10,000 and the second <laughs> one says, you know, a million and the yeah. third one says 60,000, that's a pretty big number. Um, and so basically the simplest way to kind of explain this is my SQL has to kind of make a result set that sort of is all of those rows and then filter those uh, to your uh, criteria. Um, and so that could be a reason why it's going slower. Um, yeah. And so one of the things uh, you'll see in there as well is it'll indicate whether or not it's going to use an index on this query. And so that's that can be a common thing as well. You get really excited. You start making your data models and migrations. Um, you start putting in data, especially if you're local. Maybe you don't have a lot of data, so everything seems fast. And it goes out to production and things are going slower. And, and then you start, you do something like this and see there's no index on there. Uh, and, and so that might be a time to add an index too. And that might make a huge difference yeah. on uh, your performance of that page. It, yeah, it could be sort of eye-opening how dramatically faster a query will be with, with the right index. I mean, just <laughs> night and day. We're, we're not talking like, oh, it's going to be 5% faster. I mean, it might go from taking 10 seconds to being done in like 35 milliseconds. I mean, it's yeah. it, it really is a good place to start um, when looking at this. I think we should be responsible, though, and, and kind of say that uh, you can't just add an index to every single column uh, in your table. There is some give and take. There's some expense, um, some you know data and speed that happen in different parts of the application and usage of adding indexes. So don't just add them to every single column. It, you know, add them you know in cases where you you need them explicitly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's not like if some is good, more is better. <laughs> like there should be right. a reason for adding it for sure. Explain is an excellent tip and it's a, it's a pretty deep technical area. So when, when you first, if you've never run that command before, first time you run it, don't be surprised if you don't understand most of what you see, but just know it's a tool. And uh, there's some great blog posts and, and information that will help explain, explain. But <sighs> now that we're, we're we've uh, kind of tackled the first couple of things we looked at, let's, I, I remember somebody saying they like rules of three. And so mm-hmm. I thought maybe if you had a third area to explore that uh, we could tackle that. Well, I, I know that all of my data um, database calls and eloquent queries are tip top. They are the best. They can be no more efficient. Okay. But it still seems to take a little bit of time to run some of these. Um, and so that's kind of when I then step into the, the final thing is, is, is caching. And so we can use Laravel's caching tools to cache various different parts of our database uh, queries or really anything, um, you know, uh, that uh, is intensive that, you know, the, the, the answer to a complicated request, a calculation, a third party, anything like that mm-hmm. um, request we can put in our caching system. Uh, so I think it's important to understand too, that um, you can mix this up uh, in various different ways too. A lot of times we think of all well, caching, well, will this still be good in an hour or a day or something like that? <laughs> Um, that's fine. That's great. Some things don't change that often. Other things might change on average, just, just once a minute. So you got to be careful when you're, mm-hmm. you know, writing your caching rules. First of all, does it even make sense if something's going to change it often? Um, and second, then don't keep the um, cache uh, timeout too long, or users are going to get things that they don't understand. You know, like why is this an old set of data or whatever? Right. Yeah. Um, and I've heard I've heard, heard developers say, well. You know, uh, they, they won't, you know, they, they won't care or whatever, but you, users do care and do not understand why does it say something's old or yeah. why is it the old spelling when I just change it or whatever or something like that. So you really have to be careful for those scenarios. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, you're also saving yourself some trouble. I know you and I were talking through a cash related issue earlier today, and you just pointed out that if somebody saw this, saw old data, it might cause a user to like report a support issue. And you mm-hmm. go to look at it and you're like, well, I can't reproduce this. And and like caching right. is making that a lot harder as a developer to reproduce it. So you're, you're doing yourself some favors as a developer by by tuning those values just right. Yeah, I think that's important too. That's the reason why we kind of cover these topics in this order. Uh, I've noticed a lot of people will maybe have a bad set of queries. So they just throw a cache on it instead. Well, mm-hmm. it's only going to run once and we'll cache it. I really think the, the way to do this is to identify theoretically, like we talked about last episode, then to identify with hard facts using something like telescope, uh, and then to go and optimize the things that are painful or expensive. And then when we got past that, then we can go and introduce caching and other layers like that, uh, that keep copies of our data even past when it might be valid. Right. That's a nice, nice little summary. So there's your checklist when next time somebody complains and something is slow, just come back and listen to this and, and you'll be in a good spot. So maybe I had a little extra time last night to think about life in general. And I started thinking to myself, what are things in my life that are maybe more embarrassing than my browser history? Uh, examples I've come up with are my calculator history. Okay. So like what numbers did I not know how to add 
It's like, really? You, you couldn't figure out 10% of 100? Settle down. <laughs> okay. Um, right. I think maybe the number of shirts I have compared to the number of shirts I actually wear. What What's the ratio there? Oh, uh, an embarrassing <laughs> amount is what I'm okay. saying. Okay. I definitely, it's definitely, um, I would say it's definitely in a double digit ratio. Mm. And maybe this isn't such a big thing anymore, but maybe the number of songs or number of movies that I've purchased compared to the ones I actually watch on regular. Yeah. Like when I would, when we used to purchase a lot of music before streaming, I buy a new album. I listen to two songs mm-hmm. and I go back to my old three albums. I listen to all the time. Same thing with movies. I've, I've bought a lot of movies, but I never seem to go back and watch them. Always watching the newest you know thing. So it's, it's really, my movie collection is actually embarrassingly large now. So I was wondering, do you happen to have any things that uh, maybe are more embarrassing to you than what I assume was a pristine browser history on your machine? Oh, do I have things to share? Uh, the, the immediate one that came to mind for me was video games, because I'll get excited like, ooh, this this new game is coming out. And so so I'll, I'll pre-order it. It'll come out on release day and I might not open it for months. And it might not even be me that opens it. It's like one of my kids asked to play for it. The most embarrassing. I know you, you mentioned this, that. You mentioned <laughs> that, like you got a package for like the switch or something and you had to hide mm-hmm. it. I was like, how do you not open a package right away? No, it just sat there. The The worst example I can think of this in recent history is I bought a game, never opened it and wanted to play it and actually forgot I bought it and bought a second copy. <laughs> and my son is like, don't we already have that game? And sure enough, we did. So that just shows how much time had elapsed between when I thought I needed it and when I actually got around to playing it. You probably have a, a pretty cool looking uh, eBay account then. A lot of nice <laughs> things for sale. <laughs> Never should. Open, for real though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I should, but uh, I still have them sitting on a shelf. But thankfully, I justify it when uh, I have kids that play the games. But the worst is you pay $60 for a game when it comes out. But by the time you play it, it, they're selling it for like $25. And it's like, that's $35 I wasted. Very embarrassing. <laughs> Something else I thought of that's not media related is um, I'll, I'll want to try out some new recipe. And maybe mm. it calls for an ingredient that I don't have on hand. It's not something I use a lot. So I'll buy that ingredient. Like potatoes? Not like, <laughs> no, <laughs> potatoes are pretty regular in this house. You know, some some like spice or um, unusual ingredient that that is a small component of a recipe, but is important. I'll buy that and then it'll sit in the fridge or on the shelf until it goes bad. And then like three years later, I'll need that same thing again. So there's there's quite a few ingredients like that where you buy them, you use them one time and then they just sit there and you look at them. Next time you go to use it, it's expired by three years. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> During the podcast, sometimes we talk about code, but it's much easier to kind of see it written down. In cases like that, check out our newsletter. You can sign up for it on our website at nocompromises.io slash tips. 